Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning. Here we are in week three, if you can believe it already, in this series called We Are Gathered Here. And if you're listening to us via podcast, well, welcome and thanks for joining us. And let's just dive right into it. We were not created to walk this journey of life all alone. We were made to experience life together. We were made to help and to walk down and, and to help walk down in the valley with those who are hurting and to celebrate with those who are celebrating and to rejoice with them. We were meant to help people take their next step closer to Jesus together. Now, in a way of a quick review, so much of what we do and who we are is rooted in a social context, in a social setting, in a social framework. It's one of the reasons that we do church as a team or why we refer to one another as church family. But let me remind us that on on week one, I asked this question, What do you know about solitary confinement? I know kind of a strange question, but what do you know? Well, it's interesting that solitary confinement or administrative segregation, as they would refer to it, is something we use to discipline, to punish, and to control convicted criminals, prisoners in the penitentiary. Now, I also had made note, and I think it's worth reviewing again, uh, this article out of medicalnewstoday.com. It was reviewed by Dr. Marnie A. White, and it was written by um, Dr. Jane Leonard. And it, it says, quote, humans require social contact. Over time, the stress of being isolated can cause a range of mental health problems. According to Dr. Sharon Schlalev, who authored a source book on solitary confinement in 2008, these problems may include anxiety and stress, depression and hopelessness, anger, irritability, hostility, panic attacks, worsened pre-existing mental health issues, hypersensitivity to sounds and to smells, problems with attention, concentration, and memory. All of this from solitary confinement, mind you. Hallucinations that affect all the senses, paranoia, poor impulse control, social withdrawal, outbursts of violence, psychosis, fear of death, self-harm, or suicide. The article goes on to say that research indicates that both living alone and feelings of loneliness are strongly associated with suicide attempts and suicide ideas. Ideation, ideation meaning the idea of forming an idea about somebody, in this case, of suicide. Additionally, many individuals who experience confinement become incapable of living around other people. Wow. Now, the truth is, you and I do not need empirical research and studies to understand that there are severe adverse effects a being alone for extreme long periods of time. It kind of comes instinctively to us. Now, with that in mind, 
Now, with that in mind, why have so many of us willingly choose to live our lives in isolation? Now, don't get me wrong. I know what it means that we've all faced these forced shelter-at-home orders and all the fear that has come out of this quote-unquote pandemic. Yet being isolated, whether by the government or by the medical industry or self-inflicted, it still has the same negative impact on the young and on the old as solitary confinement has on a convicted criminal. So please catch this. Again, as a reminder, so much of what we do and who we are is rooted in a social context. In our community with others, in our fellowship with other believers, then who are we apart from doing church Doing church as a team, doing church as a family. Who are we? Gathering together is vital. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Lord, a sensitivity to understand what you're guiding us to do differently. Help us to say, what do you want us to hear today from this message, Lord? How do you want me to be different because of what I hear today? Lord, guide our hearts, our thoughts, your will, your way. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are in week three in our We Are Gathered Here series. And, and I titled today, Gather for Strength. Okay? And here's the big idea of today's message. We are stronger together than we are apart. Pretty simple. And which brings us to our theme verse. You've heard it on week one and week two, and I'm going to bring it again today. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, 25, let's read it out loud together. Ready? Begin. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another. Folks, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So let me begin by reading one of Aesop's fables. By the way, Aesop's fables is a collection of fables credited to a a slave and a a storyteller um, believed to have lived during ancient Greek times uh, between 620 and 564 B.C. So the fable is called the bundle of sticks. A certain father had a family of sons who were forever quarreling among themselves. Ever have siblings who were just always fighting and bickering together? Yeah, just in my house, I get it, all right. No words he could say did did the least good, so he cast about in his mind for some very striking examples that would make them see that discord would lead them to misfortune. One day, when the quarreling had been so much more violent than usual, and each of the sons was moping in a surly manner, he asked one of them to bring him a bundle of sticks. 
They handed the bundle of sticks to each. He hand, then handing the bundle of sticks to each of his sons in turn, he told them to try to break it. But although each one tried his best, none was able to do so. So just get the picture. There's a bunch of sticks. They wrap it with rope. And then he hands this bundle of sticks and says, break it. Couldn't do it. Goes in the next one. Break it. Couldn't do it. Goes in the next one. Break it. Can't do it. Then the fable goes on to say, and I'm going to paraphrase it. He undoes the rope and takes each one and starts handing them one stick at a time. Crack, crack, crack. It's not hard to see what's go- where, the, where the fable's going, is it? My son, said the father, do you not see how certain it is that if you agree with each other and help each other, it will be impossible for your enemies to injure you. But if you are divided among yourselves, you will be no stronger than a single stick in that bundle. Now I realize this simple children's fable could be applied any number of situations. And by the way, while I'm reading this, you're probably thinking of something that it applies in your own life. This principle is true for when you or someone you care and love is in a season of great need. Maybe they're facing things beyond their control. Conflict in relationship. Maybe the issues work. Maybe there's an illness, there's a sickness. The struggles of life. And so as it pertains to the church, the lesson is simple but a powerful one. We are stronger together than we are alone. Have you ever met the Lone Ranger Christian? Doesn't work really well. And by the way, even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. I'm just saying. See, the church gathers together in part to pray for one another. And it's in that togetherness that we find strength, that we find support, that we even find hope. So today I've asked Rachel, if she'd make her way down, I've asked Rachel Lipfin to come and share a bit about what she has faced recently and to speak to the simple but powerful truth that the church gathers together to pray for those who are in need of strength. Thanks for doing this, Rachel. God bless you. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Um, so, uh, I'm Rachel Litvin. I'm Ed. Uh, I'm Rachel Litvin. I'm Ed and Tamitha's daughter back there. Um, I. Uh, I don't always get to come here on Sundays, which kills me because I love being here with you guys. Um, I, uh, I turned 30 this year, and for most of my life, I, my parents have been in ministry. I've also been a pastor's kid, so I'm no stranger to churchisms all, all over. And the River Rock has been special because every time I'm here, it's just it's very warm. People know your name. They go out of their way to, to greet you. Um, because of my work, I'm away a lot. So I don't always get to come here. I, I'm lucky if I can make it like once a month, twice a month is a blessing. Um, but also we know the church isn't just a building, right? It's each other. It's, 
It's the relationships we have with people. It's that text you get in the middle of the week with someone going, hey, I didn't see you. I haven't seen you for two weeks. How are you doing? You know, it's that check-in. With everything that's going on in our world, the isolation is no joke. Um, I am a full-time author. I write fantasy books for a living. And so I'm away from church a lot because I do a lot of my book signings. I travel for all over, and they're, they're often on weekends. And so when I say I'm a hermit, I'm not kidding. I am, I am on, you know, I'm a full-time author, so I'm at home a lot. And getting out of my doors is something that I don't realize I can actually do. And especially with the whole pandemic going on, it has put a strain on many relationships. And getting into that, um, on the heels of my grandmother passing away on October 29th, and then right, going right into Thanksgiving, um, I got really, really sick last month um, through all of December. Um, I'll sum it up for you so I won't go into like the whole ordeal because I was misdiagnosed like three times before I went into another hospital and they finally told me what I actually had. I was in the ER four times in 11 days. Well, urgent care and then ER four times. So I had five emergency visits in 11 days. And it wasn't until the last two visits that I actually got the care I needed. Right. Um, but in the meantime, I got worse and worse and worse. Um, when I was first dismissed, they just said I had hand, foot, and mouth disease, which is a cousin to chicken pox. And they're like, are you around children? I'm like, not often. They're like, you probably got it from a grocery cart. Go home, stay fluids, ibuprofen. And I'm just like, my hands are purple, and my skin is itching, and I can't sleep. It's burning. Um, they sent me home many times with no care. I ended up going to the different hospital after um, literally a, a week that I genuinely thought I was going to die. I got worse, I got worse, and I got worse. Um, and I have pictures of it. Um, I looked at the worst of it. My hands were double their size. They were purple. Um, they were inflamed. Um, my feet to my knees and all over my body, I had this rash. Um, we get me into the hospital, the other hospital, on December 5th, and it was diagnosed that um, I was having an acute allergic reaction. Um, they got me on a ton of prednisone, which stopped it, but not before the damage had been done. Um, because my skin had been so inflamed on my hands and feet and my knees, all of it ended up peeling off a week later. Um, it could have been way worse, but... So essentially what happened to me is I was diagnosed with Stephen Johnson syndrome, which is a very rare reaction to um, medication. There's 200 medications that can actually trigger it. It's super rare. Ibuprofen can even do it, but it wasn't ibuprofen. I had taken amoxicillin for something else that was prescribed, and... I've had amoxicillin before, I've never been allergic in my life, but you can develop an allergy overnight to anything, really. Um, and I ended up developing a severe acute allergy to amoxicillin, which the worst cases of Stephen Johnson syndrome see people end up in burn units for months on end as their skin sheds. It's horrific. And the mortality rate when you hit that point is like 30 to 40%. And I was probably days away from hitting that. And during this time, my dad had reached out to the prayer team here at church. Um, I was in so much pain and agony through this whole thing. I kind of was like, oh, I guess the church is praying for me. That's nice. Like, didn't, I didn't realize how many people knew about this and they were praying for me. And um, Lauren and I have gotten really close for the last few months, too. And so she was checking on me, like, every day. Um, so as, as the symptoms started to finally subside, a week later, all my skin came off, and I was back in the ER again trying to stop it because it was, it, 
it was going to hit a point where it was too much too soon, and I would have like started like bleeding. Yeah, give me some massive pregnancy to keep like my skin back together. It was, it was just nuts, and and I'm it's Saturday, like December eleventh, and I am sitting there in the living room, just shaking, terrified. I mean, terrified because I know what this is, and I know how bad it can get. And um, I remember feeling such a deep visceral fear that I've never really felt like that before, and it was this deep void, this chasm that really kind of opened up in front of me, and I realized how dark this could get, and I begged God, I said to God, I was like, please, I said, please restore my hands and feet, God, because they're meant to do your work. I'm not supposed to go look, there's so much I'm supposed to do for you. I'm shaking there and I'm scared because my skin is melting off and um, I'm looking at the whole picture and I'm scared that it could get like the Stephen Johnson's cases like I googled because Google will terrify you um, and I'm thinking it would turn into something like that as I'm waiting for the medication to really work and when people get so sick you sometimes people stay sometimes people leave it's it's a really terrifying thing when you know you have nothing to offer somebody you have nothing to earn your place or earn your keep and you are at the mercy of those who care for you and I started crying because I realized I don't want to be abandoned through this and I looked at my mom and I said are you going because that's everybody's that's some people's greatest fear is not having community around you yeah is being alone and isolated, which is what has happened to a lot of us over the last two years. And I'm so deeply sick with this thing, thinking it's going to get so bad. And my mom looked at me and said, oh my god, I will never leave you. No, 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 I'm here for you, even if it gets bad, even if the worst happens, I'm here with you. And I literally cried so hard in her arms that, that day. I didn't realize that breakthrough moment I needed to have at the very same time the women's conference was happening and Lauren had been praying for me in the back as the massive prayer was happening. It was literally the same hour. We compared notes. And it was this breakthrough where I knew God had it. I knew God was going to see me through. And I said to God, if it's going to get that dark, please don't bring me there. But if it's going to go there, I accept it and I understand that this is going to be used for your glory in some way. I don't want my entire skin to bolt off, but if it's going to happen, I know you're going to bring me through it. Um, luckily, uh, a week later, I was doing a lot better. All the skin on my feet came off, all the skin on my hands came off. Um, I have like baby skin now, it's very sensitive, it hurts sometimes. But uh, this could have gotten way worse. I see my dermatologist, they get me into a derm because they have to check up on me. And she looks at it, she goes, Wait, what do you mean you have Stephen Johnson syndrome? At the time, I was still super watching. And I'm like, yeah, and so she brought in her assistant, and they have the iPad. She goes, wow, I've never seen a case like this. It doesn't end up in the burn unit for a few months. My God, you're an anomaly. Well, let's monitor you. And I'm just like, oh, wow, okay. Um, that Sunday, it was the Sunday before Christmas, I was finally feeling well enough. I was able to attend here again. I've been gone for weeks before that. I mean, I, I hadn't been able to come to church for like three months. Um, and I get in here, and it was all de decorated for Christmas. We were all wearing ugly Christmas sweaters. And so many of you saw me and came and hugged me and asked me if I was okay. And 
I didn't know how many people were praying for me. I didn't know how many people actually were praying that I'd be okay. And I didn't feel so alone. And I know now that it was the power of prayer that kept me from spending a few months in a burn unit with all my skin melting off. Um, I know that. And I know it was community banding together and people... The, the thing is, kindness is free. A few minutes of your time is free. And we think sometimes, you know, when we have to give, oh, it's monetary, oh, it's, you know, such a big commitment, but I mean, just a few minutes of kindness here and there goes far long, like far greater than you can realize. And so, knowing this woman, if you would band it together and pray for me, like, it's, the church is, the church isn't a building. It is the lifeblood of its people. It is such a beautiful community here at River Rock Church, and I was so touched that Christmas just seeing it felt like Christmas. It felt like what Christmas is supposed to feel like when I mean, people are around caring about you. And so, um, yeah, I just to close, we are stronger together. And it is so easy to isolate and just stay home and let the burdens of the world just fill you full of fear and uncertainty and languish in it. I know I can do that too, but making it a priority at some point during the week to show up or the kingdom of God, it changes lives, and you all changed my life, and I, I know for a fact that the prayer here really, really saved me, so. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. That was just beautiful, isn't it? Sometimes you're on the prayer team, and you kind of wonder if what you do matters. It matters. It's an anomaly? No, it's a miracle. She's a walking miracle. And so uh, I'm just thrilled to say I'm part of River Rock, and I hope you do too. And uh, uh, Dad, obviously Ed was so good. He, would, he was giving me the play-by-play every day we were texting and, and just praying, and, and um, it makes a difference. And and I also want to ask you guys to be praying for mom because she took a little spit spat fall. You know, the foot went this way and she went that way and she blew out her ankle. And uh, that's how I lost my football um, uh, career is I, I blew out an ankle. And so uh, that uh, it's painful. It's really painful. So we want to pray that she get, recovers quickly. Amen. Well, there are several passages of Scripture we're going to look at as we discuss the strength we experience when we gather together. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4, it says, Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. I think we all understand what that means. If you don't want any mess, or shall I help for those who've never been in the farming atmosphere, if you don't want poo in the barn, don't have any animals in there. That's the only way you're not going to have it. That's what the scripture is saying. It's because if you can imagine getting a bunch of oxen and all the different animals in there, there's going to be some messy business. And isn't that how it is in community? If you have a community of animals in a barn, there's going to be an issue. And if you have a community of people gathering together, there's going to be some messy stuff. 
It's okay. Why? Because the end result, without the oxen, there can be no harvest. And so whether it's me being messy or you being messy, praise God for the kingdom of God, for the cause of Christ, we go together that there might be a harvest. What's the scripture say? Man, the harvest is white or it's ripe, but the laborers are few. Fill up the barn. Why? The more we have, the more we can do. You know, some people say, well, forget the barns. You don't have to worry about the mess. The problem with that. A barn or a stable has a very unique purpose. It's multifaceted. One, there is the protection from weather. There's a protection from wild predators. There's even the protection from thieves. Or also the idea of the animal just wandering away. A stable has a purpose. We need that. Can you not see the connection already between oxen and people? And why we need church or the barn? The flip side to this, however, having no oxen in the barn, and the beauty of Proverbs 14.4 captures is that the same bunch of messy oxen can bring in an incredible harvest. The oxen is the one that plows the fields. The oxen is the one who literally hauls the harvest out of the field and hauls the harvest to the marketplace. Oxen are strong, but they are stubborn. Oxen are messy, and they, they need a lot of care, and they need a lot of direction, especially if you're plowing the field. And yet oxen are critically, incredibly important. They are and were the tractor for the farmer. Is this making sense, church? Jesus has chosen us to build his church. We are what Peter calls living stones. Being built into a spiritual house. And even though it can be messy, even though it can be hard, there is a harvest that comes when we yoke our collective strength together for the sake of the gospel. A lot of times, if you don't come from a farming background, if you're not a Bible scholar type person, you don't know what a yoke is. But have you ever seen that big wood apparatus they put on those oxen when the two of them are together? They're so powerful, so strong, they put this heavy burden on top of their neck and connect the two of them together so one doesn't go this way, one doesn't go that way. That they go together. They use their collective strength to plow through. How? They're yoked by that big wooden apparatus. We need to be yoked. By the way, when they want to teach a juvenile ox, they get a mature big ox. And they put the teenage one next to them. So when the teenage one just goes, hey, I smell something. Let me go over here. Well, the mature one goes, no. 
And then they stay together. That big ox, because of the yoke, can train the younger ox how to do the plowing. Maybe we can learn from that. We're stronger when we work together. Speaking of being alone, let me ask you. What can the enemy of our soul gain if we literally remove ourselves from being in fellowship and decide to take the journey of life or the journey of faith all alone by ourselves? As you think about it, let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. And, and it says here, Peter says, Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, there's two points I want us to focus on this little verse here. First of all, Peter compares Satan, the devil, to that of like a roaring lion. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched, you know, National Geographic and study some of those, you know, dads, we love those kind of shows, right? Mom just tolerates it. And the kids go, I'm out of here. But the truth about lions is they're very opportunistic hunters. They do not go and attack the herd. They look for the weak, the feeble, the one who's wandering away, the one who's all by themselves and is a vulnerable, easy lunch. That's the one they go after. The one who's separated from the herd. Let me look at a, another point. Peter's words in verse 5, 8, specifically when it says, you know, someone to devour. Someone. Notice he doesn't say the church. Notice he doesn't say the small group. He says someone. What does that mean? Someone who got away from the herd. Someone who's a frail. What does that mean? You're not really up to speed on what the kingdom of God is all about. You're not reading the word. You're not doing devotions. You're not going to church on a regular basis. You notice that when you're going to church and when you're doing daily devotions and you're in regular fellowship with the saints, that you're strong spiritually. You're not easily tempted. But when you're kind of like pushed away, maybe because of life, maybe because of yourself, whatever the reason, and you're not really connected to the body of Christ, you're not really connected between you and the king. And all of a sudden, you're vulnerable to do what? Those things you know you should not do. Am I alone in this? The devil, like a lion, is looking for an easy target to kill, steal, and destroy. John 10.10. 10. He knows that someone in fellowship with others, being encouraged, being sharpened and strengthened, now that's a much more difficult prey to hunt. Simply put, there is strength in numbers. I ask, would you walk through a dark alley all alone in the middle of the night in L.A., Chicago? Somebody stalked in? <laughs> <laughs> To those who live in Stockton, God bless you. <laughs> hey, there's places in Lodi I would not walk. Here's the point. 
Why won't you do that? Because you know, going alone in the middle of the dark, in a really horrible place, the odds of you being attacked are high. But why are we going through the valley of the shadow of death? Why do we go through life isolated, alone, in places where there's darkness, and we're thinking we're not going to get attacked? We know not to do that in the physical. Why are we doing that in the spiritual? Like the bundle of sticks bound together by string. May we be bound together in our faith to travel those dark places together. It's one of the reasons we gather together for strength. So now as you consider what we just read, 1 Peter 5a, let's look also at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Now, now, for an example, let me ask both Miguel and Coleman to stand up. And I want you guys to stand right here back to back. Because they realize they're under attack. You want to know why they go back to back literally touching each other? So that nobody can hurt him from a place where he cannot visually see his attackers. He's got somebody who can visually protect him because he cannot see from his backside. And because they're together, they each can defend one another while defending themselves. Do you catch that? There are things in your life that you don't know are coming at you from your backside. But if you have a brother in arms, a sister in arms, there they are, there to protect you and to pray for you, even when, like Rachel, you don't even know how many people were praying for you who had your back. Church matters. It's not enough to watch it on TV. There's something when I can look at my brother And I can say, how are you? When I can say, hey, have you been? I haven't seen you. Oh, you're just down the hall. Okay. (laughs) Grab a seat, guys. Thank you very much for that. And as an example of this idea of having each other's back, consider for a moment that Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. In pairs. To do what? To share the good news. Think about when God looked at Adam and he was all alone. alone, And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. He needs to help me. And then God made Eve. And what did Adam say? Whoa, man. That's right. There's so many more examples to point at in the scriptures about doing things as a team. Doing it in pairs, doing it in small groups. Together we are better protected together. Together we can bring in a greater harvest. Together we are stronger than if we are alone. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Again, 
Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. You know, there's something to be said. Back in the day when, you know, when, when dirt was just born, I used to backpack a lot with my buddies, and we would go out in the wilderness. And matter of fact, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in a place called Devil's Canyon. I just thought that was really fun. Like, <laughs> But there was a time where sometimes somebody in the group couldn't pull their weight. And you know, the rest of us found a way to help. Hey, I'll take some of that weight, put it in my backpack. I'll take some of that, put it over here. Do you catch how this works? Can you imagine if they would have been out in the middle of the wilderness, all alone in Devil's Canyon, and they couldn't go any farther? What could have happened? They'd still be there. So maybe you can relate to this verse. Maybe you've been in a season of suffering and you struggle and you feel all alone. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. Maybe you're the one who was sick and hurting. Maybe you're just tired and fatigued by how our world is and you're just weary and you feel defeated. Part of being strong is knowing when it's time to ask for help. How can we help each other today? How can we lift each other up? How can we help somebody who is in need? The answer really is prayer. And sometimes it's just something as simple as thinking of you. Sometimes it, hey, can I have some food delivered to your place? Make some chicken noodle soup, drop it off. Make some chocolate chip cookies from Mary Lee and bring them to 2426. I'm just saying the best chocolate chip cookies. What is it that you can do for somebody else? And you'll be surprised because God knows that what you make happen for somebody else, God will make happen for you probably times 10. But that's not why we do it. Why do we do it? It's because it's who we are. It's what family does for family. And it's even what we do for the stranger. Good Samaritan story. So I'm going to ask you, would you please stand? Would you grab somebody's hand? There's power in prayer, folks. And I'm going to ask as we pray that we can pray for one another, the one on our right, the one on our left. So, Father, here we come together. The church, one of the purposes of the church is to pray. It's to worship you. It's to lift up your holy name. But it's also to pray for one another. So, Lord, right now, we begin to pray for the person on our right. We pray for their needs. We pray if their bodies in pain or their suffering. We pray if they struggle with a long-term disease. We pray if there's any conflict in relationships in their life. We pray if they're in need of work or work is a place of struggle. We pray for them, Lord, 
that you would guide them in their future and help them make great decisions. We pray, Lord, it would sense your presence and that greater see that's in them than he that's in this world, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. Because, Father, as we gather together, we pray that this could be a time of encouragement for one another. And we pray for that person on the left. We pray, Lord, whatever's going on in their body, that you would bring healing to their body. Long-term disease or whether it's just, Father, a pain or an issue. I pray for the one who's struggling in their back right now. God, I just pray strength in those ligaments and those muscles. Bring it back, Lord. Strength. Lord, we pray for that person on our left. Lord, if they're struggling in relationships, there's a, a conflict or a misunderstanding. We pray that you would, Father, bring resolution to it, restoration to it. We pray for their place of vocation, their place of work. We pray healing and wholeness there. We pray that you give them opportunity to share, Father, the cause of Christ and the good news and the gospel. We pray, Lord, that you would just touch people. You would use them right now. Oh God, there's so much power in prayer. Or hear these prayers as your people are praying for one another. God, we lift up your holy name. We lift up your church. We pray, Father, that you would cause River Rock to, to experience a harvest. Father, that the growth would be all about Jesus. It would be about those who do not know Christ, would come to hear the gospel and find Jesus and their name being put in the Lamb's book of life. Pray for those broken marriages, Father, they would be restored. We pray, Father, you would, Lord, use us, Lord, as a beacon, as a light tower to point people to the Word of God, to the King of kings. God bless your people. Bless them. Lord, we love it, Lord, that as we pray for others, Father, you're giving us twice as much prayer than even for ourselves. Oh, God, we bless you for that. Lord, how great thou art. Bless your people. Fill them, Lord, I pray. We ask this in the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus, your will, your way, your timing. In Jesus' name. And you all say with me, Amen. amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.